Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hi, everyone. You have arrived at Characters on the Couch. I'm Jordana Horn, and I am here with my dear friend, Dr. Adam Stern. Hi there. And we're going to be chatting all about analysis of fictional people. Okay, hello, everybody, and welcome to Characters on the Couch. I'm Jordana Horn, and I'm here with my friend, Dr. Adam Stern. It's so nice to see you again, Jordana. Likewise. And today we're going to an oldie but a goodie, The Americans, which definitely, in my opinion slash fact making, I'm going <laughs> to say, is one of the best shows of the past, uh, I don't know, let's arbitrarily say 20 years. Half yeah. Yeah, I think it fits so nicely in the in the sort of modern era. You know, it's not we think of it as an old show. It just finished five years ago. But it's just like one of these shows that once you realized how good it was, you couldn't stop watching it. Right. And shout out to our friendly COVID pandemic, which made it possible for me to watch all of the seasons. And I also, it made me really feel for those of you who watched it in real time, because mm. I think I think that that's a totally different adventure. And watching it, I, I would recommend if you find yourself with, with oodles of time, maybe you have COVID, going through and watching it one after the other in binge fashion is really, really satisfying. And I I just don't know how some of you made it from- That's so interesting (laughs) you say that because I, this is several, several years ago, I binged the first two seasons Mm -hmm. right before the season three started. And I was, the first two, I was like, I, I, I literally binged it in a weekend or something. It was one of those kinds of things. And then I couldn't wait. And then, and then I thought that it really slowed down. And I think the content slowed, but I think it also just works really well as like something that you just really uh, take it all in really quickly. Yes, immersive. And speaking of which, we have so much to go through because, you know, just a little casual psychological analysis <laughs> of a very intense and psychologically in-depth show like this should be easy. We, we can get through that. That's yeah, definitely. Problem. Yeah. So I wanted to start with the big picture view, even though I know that we like starting with the diagnosis and then sort of blossoming out from there. I kind of want to take the opposite approach because I would like to talk a little bit about the psychology of those who pursue spy work Mm -hmm. um, for lack of a fancier term and lack of enough cups of coffee this morning. Mm -hmm. Those who pursue that professionally, because really you're signing up obviously for a totally off the beaten path life. Mm-hmm. And what kind of person does that? And what are their psychological denominators in those who choose that vocation? Yeah, that's really interesting. I think that's the idea of being a spy 
on TV is probably yes. pretty different <laughs> than the idea of, you know, for example, like working in intelligence, you know, being an intellig- intelligence officer, some cohort of which might do undercover kind of stuff, you know. But on TV, we all grew up watching these spy, spy you know, shows and movies and it's all very thrilling and dangerous and interesting. And so there's probably, it's pro- my, my best guess is that the general idea that draws people in is, well, uh, you know, hopefully this person is smart. They're, they're patriotic. In this case, you know, they want to do good for their country, you know, stepping away from the Americans and good versus bad and that kind of thing. Uh, spies generally are, are, are starting from a place of doing good for their homeland and only as things sort of progress do they end up finding themselves doing bad things in the name of their homeland. Uh, and so who who gets drawn into that? I think, again, it starts with sort of competence, intelligence, and then there's a self-selection process within that cohort. My guess is that the ones who are really good at it get sort of handpicked and and sort of asked to do these things. I say that with zero knowledge whatsoever of how the real world process works. Sure, sure. That, that's, that's where we're coming from. So I guess two things. Thing one is that the thing that I find interesting about spy work is the way in which it legitimizes, validates, and in fact honors behavior that in any other area of our life would be seen as pathological, right? Um, right. You know, it, cheating on your spouse. That's generally a no-no, but here, you know, well, it's part of the job. Like, you know, you're cultivating a source. Mm-hmm. And so it, it just blurs the lines. And I find that so interesting, the way that you're sort of given this macro get out of jail free card. And I'm sure that appeals to a certain kind of person. But focusing back on the Americans, this was, n- I think that we can safely say that both Philip and Elizabeth this was not a fully consensual career path that they right. took. For, through flashbacks, they really show us that these two individuals. We, I don't think we know too much about their their you know like biological parents or upbringing, do we? But they show us they show them as young people before they're fully formed, being groomed to become these super competent spies, including you know, themselves being victim to rape and violence and torture in various ways to sort of uh, train them to become numb to those things. And so when they're out in the field, that numbness starts out very strong, is incredibly strong, especially for Elizabeth. She's devoted to the cause like like no one else. And Philip, the whole series is wavering, I think from like the very first episode, sort of, is, is it the first episode he says, to her, you know, we could go across the street to our FBI neighbor, Stan Beeman, and just turn, you know, turn right now. We could end it right now and just be regular American people and have a nice mm-hmm. life and not have to do all of this. And so his resolve is, is never as strong as hers. But to your point, it stemmed from, you know, an early exposure and repeated exposure and frankly, traumatization, you know, just sort of like an indelible mark that was left on them from a point when they were too young to to know any better. Right. Which they've generously uh, done to another generation as well, because their work relationship has created two children, Paige and Henry. So where do we begin with this? Like whose psychological, can you differentiate between the psychological profile of 
you know, Elizabeth, who's much more of the flag hoisting, you know, zealous patriot, even though she's experienced dramatically more violence than Philip has. So maybe because of that? Like what? Yeah. What's what's her? Uh, I don't want to say pathology, but uh, but what's what's her? Yeah. What's the anatomy of her psyche? Elizabeth would be much harder to work with because if we're going to um, make sort of completely nonsensical estimates, she's like eighty five percent committed to the cause, and only. of her is like, oh, wait, but I do love these children that I created with my husband, with my fake husband, you know. And, you know, there's parts of her when she's on a mission where where you can sort of just teeny little hints of there was some something later in the later seasons about, you know, like painting. She was painting these portraits and there was like a little hint of her coming out. So there's a teeny part And with Gregory, I'm going to throw in with. uh, Yeah. Yeah. She was her more authentic. She actually had like real feelings for Mm -hmm. Gregory. Right. Sorry, go on. No, those those Gregory scenes were shown to us, I think, to show, look, this is who this is the capacity she had to be a you know fully formed herself a lot of this show is about the sense of self i think and so this is the capacity she has to be her sort of true self and look at all the time she spends being the spy you know being choosing to be the other person philip is like 60 40 the other way you know philip is is ready he's already he's mo- more american than he is russian and soviet you know he's more at, by the by the later seasons especially he's like just completely doesn't believe in the cause anymore and really wants the best for his children and wants the best for his marriage he wants it to be a real marriage and so that so so what's the diagnosis for any of these people i think it's one of these things where it would be very hard to put a DSM-5 label on it, but that the therapy for all of them, including the kids, by the way, who, as the show finishes up, are like approaching adulthood, young adulthood, mm. the, the, the therapy for any one of them is about identifying your sense of self. How do you see yourself? You know, what are the things that make up who you are? What are the things that are that you want to actually put forth in this world and do in this world? And, you know, the the problem with their marriage at the end of the show is that they I don't think they really see eye to eye on that even at the end. Right. So not at all. Yeah. They're, I, they're, I think even even and again, obviously, people, obviously I mean, spoilers you know, we, yeah. like I mean, the show's been out like a million years. So, you know, it, like we're really sorry for ruining it for you. But yeah. um, but at, even at the very end of the show, I think that's exemplified and illustrated by the fact that, you know, Philip speaks in English. And she speaks in Russian, like right. in that very last scene when right. they're looking over the over the hill, and I'm like, yeah, okay, that that's yep. not going to work out, you know. So, how about the fact? What did you think of when Philip was that an honest pursuit when he went off on the est tangent, like that whole self realization, self actualization? Yeah, right. Retreat? Do you think that was legit? It was double duty. I think he he started out. He actually started out thinking this is just sort of uh, something that will help me, A, endear myself to Stan. I think he went with Stan at the beginning. Mm -hmm. And then B, some of these skills are actually kind of useful. A... now I'm sub ang little little a to <laughs> you know to to identify what like what's the gestalt thing that people are up to these days what what's in vogue how can I use this to my advantage and then also mm-hmm. some of the actual skills in est 
EST, I don't even remember. Uh, yeah, I think is, it's EST. But. Yeah, it is all about sort of mindfulness, being in touch with your emotions and channeling those things. And so in spy work, he especially is very good at using the emotional side, his, yeah. his vulnerable sort of sharing of appearance, seeming sort of, anyway, using all of those skills that he gets in touch with. And then once he's there, I think there is, again, the sense of self, that 60-40 dynamic he has. The 60% of him that wants to actually be there and, and wants the value for the value itself without all of these other sort of secondary gain kind of things. I mean, it's so fascinating to me. And immediately, again, I splinter off into two tracks, right? So the one track is that you see him using those EST tools in that last parking lot scene where they're talking to Stan, you know, where mm-hmm. Stan is confronting them. Mm-hmm. And you see him you know, using what he's learned, pressing the buttons. And I'm like, ooh, you know, this is, and it's so, such a fascinating moment. I actually think that I'm going to go out on a limb and say off the top of my head that I think that this was probably the best series finale Hmm. in my memory Mm -hmm. because it hit so many notes. It left so much deliberately ambiguous, not in a careless way, but Mm -hmm. in a deliberate way. But I thought that that scene was so powerful because he was he was hitting all those notes and you saw how those notes hit with Stan and you saw how Stan was like, you're my best friend. And I'm like, everything he's saying illustrates Mm -hmm. that he is not your friend. Like mm-hmm. every single thing. And the second thing is that, you know, I hear what you say and I kind of want to like pull the lens out further to say, what do you think about the appeal of these larger institutions and the way that these people mm. submerge themselves in those desires to avoid their own, whether it's right. the Soviet empire, mm-hmm. Est, I'm mm. thinking also of the church, Mm-hmm. And Paige mm-hmm. in this youth movement, how she tries to find herself and be found within the context of something larger. Is that right. is that a common impulse? Is that something or is that something that people look to more when they have <laughs> Not to belittle this family, but perhaps a less uh, stable familial structure <laughs> than others. Yeah. So, so I think that. It is hardwired into us to a large extent, all of us, because, you know, over uh, millennia of, of uh, evolution, we had to appreciate the value of being in tribes, of being in groups, being in the more larger, more powerful group of having standing within that group, being a valuable contributing member to that group. And if you extrapolate that out, you know, uh, some 20,000 years or so, you end up with with these nation states where we are now. And again, you know, among the, let's say, 300 and some odd million people in the United States, you know, some small number are going to be really intelligent and really patriotic, and they're going to find some value in, in initially in their sense of self. Who am I? I'm an American. Or I'm just, you know, putting the show on pause for a second to answer your question. Uh, I'm an American. I love America. That was when I was growing up, uh, that was like a big idea that was uncontroversial. It was like, you can love your country, right? Somehow like- Those were the days, man. Those were the days. (laughs) Anyway, so, so imagine someone grows up with that idea. Loving your country is good, right? That's not, that shouldn't, that, 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 that's like a very basic thing for little kids 
I pledge allegiance to the flag, you know, at, at uh, seven years old every day, you know, that sure. kind of thing. All right. You grow up with that idea. It's a part of, it becomes a part of your sense of self, right? So maybe to some extent, we're all indoctrinated in a way, a, a very mild, mild, mild version of what Philip and Elizabeth went through. And, you know, how do I put these skills to use? Maybe I apply to be in the State Department and work for the government in some way. And then from within that group, you get sort of selected and, and again, sort of rise through the ranks. So I, I don't know. Long, complicated way of saying that I think it stems from something that's hardwired. We're sort of, why do we follow sport? I mean, not to not that all of our listeners are following sports, but I, I, there was a doubleheader for the Mets yesterday, and I was like following it uh, on my phone throughout the day when I was doing seven other things. Why do I care about the Mets? I don't even live in New York anymore. <laughs> you know, why do I follow the Mets? It doesn't make any sense. It's because I identify with the Mets. I grew up mm. following the Mets for some We're reason. We're a Mets family as well, Adam. I, okay, I feel thank this, goodness. this is bringing oh, us closer. This could no, have been a, a big issue, yeah. Could have been ugly, yeah. yeah. But so why? The idea of being a sports fan doesn't make any sense, right? Like a logical sense. It's the same evolutionary trick of if you belong to this team, you're a member of the team, even though you're just a fan and they're doing well, you can say, I, would, I was there when they, you know, I watched them get better and better. And now they're the best team, you know, in their division, you know, whatever it might be. So I think that's where it comes from. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com achieve today. Right. Not to reveal too much about myself, but I've, I've, I grew up in a home that was very uh, not sporty, mm-hmm. bordering on anti-sport. Mm-hmm. And so even now, I would say that I have a, I have a gut reaction to when someone wants me to join something that I don't want to, I, my immediate impulse is to step back mm-hmm. and I want to, and I don't really want to make this about me as fascinating as that would be mm-hmm. for all of our listeners, but rather I want to talk about Paige and what she is looking for, right? And why yeah. she, because really, even then, right, the church youth group, like, that's not really where the where the cool kids <laughs> went, right? Yeah. Um, but it's clear that, you know, as a teenager, she's struggling with yeah. what her identity is and she's defining herself sort of like many teens do, you know, just in opposition to her parents, right? Like, you know, her parents want pizza for dinner. She doesn't want pizza. I mean, so, but can you talk a little about about that and about the relationship that she develops with the pastor and, you know? Yeah. 
why things go the yeah. way they do. So you alluded to it earlier that that the home environment is so unstable. This is something the show references lots and lots of times, but it it borders on you know unbelievable in the idea of like the parents are just oh it's a work trip again uh, they're on a work trip uh, for days you know <laughs> for their travel agency yeah. yes. I mean, just before we were, I mean, they, sh- you know, the show spans when the kids are, are sort of bigger kids to when they're, they're uh, te- teens and young adults almost. We were, before the podcast, we were talking about traveling with children. Uh, I was mm. talking about how hard it is to travel with two little kids. And I was talking about what a delight it is and how <laughs> right. relaxing. Right. right. And so, like, I'm just imagining, like, what if, what about when they were little, little, you know, like when they were, when they were babies and they went off on these missions. Anyway, so the, the instability of that household let each of the kids this huge, they each felt this huge void that they had to fill in their own ways. So Paige finds her belonging in the church and with a pastor who is, by all accounts, I, was, I kept waiting for him to be revealed to be really bad in some way or like real, like a, a secret, you know, a KGB officer or whatever it might be. But I think, uh, to my knowledge, thinking back on the show, he was always just sort of a pastor that was kind to Paige, I, I think. Mm-hmm. I mean, I always, I always feel like a little uncomfortable because I always feel like, I just, I just feel there's an element of delicacy in, you know, the relationship between like an older figure and, you know, someone who's, there's obviously there's a disparity of power. There's, you know, like there are all these factors in that relationship that I, but I agree with you. Like they were allowed to all remain latent Mm -hmm. for the most part, Mm -hmm. except I do feel that he manipulated her in certain ways, but not as egregious and off the rails, Mm -hmm. I guess, as it could have been. Yeah, and maybe more sort of in line with, yeah, I'm going to sort of pause that thought for a second. I I, I was going to say sort of in line with what everyday people experience in their lives, you know, like mm. in the power imbalances that we have uh, in our lives in terms of, you know, I mean, the I don't know, young women go through the world and, and are in those kinds of experiences, I guess, a lot. So. I don't want to. I don't want to make this about Pastor Tim or anything. I, you know, I right, just right. um, right. To, the, to to your to your question, you know, the she finds belonging and a sense of purpose, and like to a teenager who is floating off into space, like that's a, an anchor that she can really hold on to, and it's it's a it's it's of the utmost importance. It's a stability that's always going to be there for her, and that's what. And to your all to your really brilliant point as well, it's the exact opposite of what her parents would like want for her you know they're not religious right. literally the opposite exactly exactly and uh yeah that's a teenager for you you know we i mean my my family and i joke all the time about how you know your best intentions and then your kid will um will <laughs> will studiously subvert those <laughs> and well, what, can i can i just extend that point i'm sorry to step on sure. you there jordana not um, at all uh if i can step on it and say henry takes it to the nth degree because not only henry who who is by the end of the show, the most well-adjusted character, I would say, like thriving in his life, he falls under the wing of the FBI. <laughs> you know, his father <laughs> figure is Stan. He, right. he he gets along best with literally the 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 guy who's charged with uh, capturing his parents. So it's I, I think that to your to your point about um you know sort of like the uh, 
teenage rebellion, doing the opposite of what your parents want. Uh, that's that that's pretty heavy there for Henry. But but you know I think that's actually and this is a tangent because it's not purely psychologically related. But I actually think that that's kind of beautiful how each one of them, uh, Henry and Stan, dovetail into the other person's needs so well and fill that void for each other. I think that's just really lovely. It actually was. Yeah, it felt great. As an audience watching all this chaos, you see this relationship form. And like on paper, you think like the uh, the kid shouldn't be at the neighbors, like <laughs> right. you know. Right. But the right. relationship on the screen it works, and like they they really just care about each other, and they're good for each other, you know. So tell me about what what you've learned from the Americans in the psychology of parenting. The psychology of parenting, who, what not to do? Maybe uh, very much the, so. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I mean, so the the psychology of parenting is. The degree to which they're compartmentalizing is 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 like incredible in in a terrible sense, you know, right? So like they're murdering people in disguises uh, by night, and then coming home and you know talking, asking Henry about his hockey practice and that kind of thing. And so I don't know. And even even Stan, our FBI agent across the street, his relationship with his son is is fractured in some yes sort of realistic way I felt. So, you know, it's all, it's all chaos in the show, but at the individual level, you get this, you see the pathos in each of them. I think that's one of the most powerful parts of the show. You know, they do really well things like the action and the hiding in, in disguise. The disguises are almost too much on the point as I am saying it. It's like the, if the show is about sense of self, Putting on a wig and uh, you know make often a ridiculous yeah, wig. Let's yeah, really also ridiculous. Add that. There's no more overt, you know, uh, subversion of your of your sense of self than that. You know, so that's what ha- they do. That the show does that very well. But you know, it also is. It's about all these compartmentalizations between the main characters and their jobs and their sense of self and their kids and their family and their relationships and all those things have to be separate. And that's not a understatement of the of the podcast. That's not a healthy way to go about life and family. So, I think that's what I learned. And I think that also it was um, a very strong case for yes, nurture does matter, people. It's it's not just nature. Yeah. I I often try to uh, as a parent, I often try to write things off as nature because it absolves me a bit. Yeah. <laughs> um, from blame, I can't take credit, and I can't take blame if I if I hey. defer to nature. But nurture really is uh, quite important. You know, there's one thing that that I take away, which is if I'm not, you know, at my best as a father, I could say, well, at least I'm not a Russian spy. You know, or um, are you, Adam? Well, I I wish you wouldn't out me like this in the podcast, mm. Jordana. But wow. okay. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and Just, the podcast takes an unexpected <laughs> turn as my microphone goes dark, and suddenly uh, I'm never heard from again. Yeah, guys. That's that's not a coincidence if that happens. I'm just hey, sound, put sound it out guys. There right let's now. let's not edit this out because that would be really <laughs> suspicious. Super suspicious. Okay, talk to me about as we said, spoilers. Talk to me about Paige and her decision at the end. Yeah. To to literally get off the train. Yeah, literally getting off the train, meaning choosing to stay in the life that a life 
of living a double life, you know, of uh, being a spy, of being committed to the cause and not choosing her family. It's the very thing that her mother, you know, would have done in the same in the same circumstance. And what Henry ends up doing is the very thing, you know, living an all-American life up in college is, or wherever he is in, in uh, school is um, like what, what Philip would have done. So, yeah, I think that it's hard for me to, even though Paige was such a more complete character, I do see them, just like I see the, the main protagonist, Philip and Elizabeth, as a, a duo, a, you know, as two ends of the same, two sides of the same coin. I see that with Paige and Henry, too, because they're the two different ways that this sort of can go. And Paige ends up sort of demonstrating that by getting off the train and staying in this role. So, I mean, what about how much independence and bravery that takes to do that? That's interesting. I don't know. I didn't see it that way. I mean, I obviously it is. You're right. Like an incredibly brave thing. And to leave your parents and and stay in that life and choose that life. But as I was watching as an audience member, I was just like hoping they'd get out safely and get to be a happy family, you know? And obviously like that's not, that's, that's how the show runners, you know, like manipulated the audience. And I say that in a positive way, like they wanted, they made me want them to have a happy, happy, happily ever after. And they didn't give it, you know, and because Paige chose to continue the dramatic element of the show, which leaves you, which is why it's this indelible, uh, unforgettable sort of ending to the show where, you know, none of the characters will ever be really happy or unhappy, which brings me, if I may, as we finish up in the last couple minutes here, this is going to sound shocking, but like actually the one, the, the person on the show that I would or are you going to say who I'm thinking of? I can't wait. Go ahead. Go ahead. I want Henry in like 20 years. I want Henry on the couch or maybe now, like in the year 2022, Henry get on the couch because at some point he's going to grow up and Stan's going to have told him what happened and he's going to be like, what was real? What was not? It's going to be a real I mean, I was going to use an expletive, which I'm not. I'm not. This is a clean show, Jordana. So I, I, was, know, I, yeah. res- I resent it every time. <laughs> every single time but, but anyway go on anyway he needs he needs a supportive environment in a therapeutic arena to actually f- talk through these things and some he needs people stan can do a lot of that work his friends his found family and as an adult but he needs people to help him actually come to terms with what his childhood was because right as the show ends he's completely oblivious okay so but i'm also going to throw out here that in so i would say if i had to if i had like three therapy subscriptions for people to i would give them to henry to stan he needs stan needs help and someone who we haven't brought up till now the last two minutes of the podcast martha (laughs) martha Martha. Yeah, Martha. Martha, who is like now alone in Russia. Oh yeah, Martha. Um, yeah, Martha. I you can't forgot. Get I see that. That's how, how Martha dare you ends. forget about Martha? Martha bothers me oh. so much. I mean, uh, I feel so bad for Martha. Yeah. You know, Martha is like so much that's good. And All right, scrap is- scrap Henry. Martha needs to get on the couch. Yeah, she. That's so sad. Martha's story is so sad. 
So sad. And that's where we are. All right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Sorry, Martha. All right, really, Martha. You got, you got screwed on the, sorry, on the show <laughs> and in our podcast. Oh, God. <laughs> All, right. All right. Well, yeah, well, and as always, none of this is meant to be, uh, you know, necessarily applied to real life. So if you are a spy, we, right, any, we, can't, we can't really help you. Any spies who are listening, just please just like don't, just leave us alone. <laughs> <laughs> We're living our lives. Yeah, you you go about your business. I don't know okay. anything about being a spy. Everything I've said is complete speculation. <laughs> Fabulous. Thank you for that caveat, Dr. Stern. <laughs> Appreciate it. I'm going to add a second disclaimer after the, the disclaimer that ends the podcast about, you know, like seeking help if you need it. And that's also just like, and Dr. Stern is not a Russian spy. We'll see. I, I love it how you leave me up and ambiguous. Well, that's like, up to you. Uh, if you want to add your own, you know, you're welcome to. All right. Well, Dasvidaniya, everybody. <laughs> Dasvidaniya. Bye. Thanks. Bye. Please be advised that Characters on the Couch is a show focused only on fictional people, and none of the content should be considered medical or professional advice in any way. If you or someone you know is struggling with your mental health, please seek out professional consultation. Thank you. Thanks so much. Hope to see you guys next week. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.